strangers, welcome to Iroh's Corner, a space where we agree with Uncle Iroh that sharing tea with a fascinating stranger is one of life's true delights. Today I'm joined by Balaji and Jocelyn, founders and owners of Quirky Co. And also Jocelyn is the founder of B Macarons. As some of you may know, I'm a bit of a macaron nut. I love French macarons. If you follow my personal Instagram, gluten-free fry tag, you'll see many times of me baking them and posting about it. And I just, I love everything about macarons. So delicious. And so I actually found Jocelyn's B Macarons account through that. And then I noticed that she posted lots of videos and IGTV interviewing people and giving them business advice, which I loved that collaborative attitude and love what she was doing. And then her and Balaji launched Quirky Co. And I immediately ordered a set for Live Bar because it was exactly what we needed for photo shoots. And then I reached out to them to see if they would be willing to chat on the podcast about launching two different types of companies and running them and wanted to hear more about the history. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the show today, Balaji and Jocelyn. So excited to have you here. We are super excited to be here. Awesome. You guys have multiple businesses going on. So I would love if you could tell us about both Quirky and B Macarons, a little bit about each and, you know, what you've, you're you doing and have done there. Okay, I think I'll start. We'll start with the company that I started back in 2018, which is B Macarons. So this was not at all a part of my plan. Originally, I was living in New York City, working at a hedge fund company, and I just decided that it was time for me to go. I was not happy at my job. I was miserable. I was just going through those motions of just really feeling like I was not living out my purpose. So I decided to quit. And that was March of 2018. And then I found out a week later that I was pregnant. And I'm like, oh my God. Wow. I'm now pregnant and I don't have a job. (laughs) And I'm living in New York City in a small, tiny apartment that cost an arm and a leg. So I was just like, oh shoot, what am I going to do? So my husband continued to work. And I was just kind of like living every day, just like, what am I going to do? I don't know. I don't know. I'm about to have a child. So it started to get towards the end of the year. And I said, I need to give myself a hobby. I'm about to have a baby, which means I'm going to be home. I need to figure out what I'm going to learn how to do. Holiday time is coming. Maybe I'll learn how to bake cookies. And so I said, okay, I'll teach myself how to bake cookies. But then I said, I don't really care for cookies. I don't really enjoy (laughs) cookies. So what else should I learn how to make? I said, okay, I'll teach myself how to make French macarons. That's what I enjoy eating. So I'll learn how to make it. So then I said, well, if I get good at this, I'm going to actually sell it. (laughs) So then I would tell all my friends and family, like I'm making French macarons. And they're like, what's that? (laughs) A lot of people (laughs) didn't know what it was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just really stayed long hours in the kitchen. Of course, I felt, Jesse, you know, I felt miserably. You know how macaroon shells are like, Oh, yeah. Those foods are finicky. So with time and persistence, I I literally like perfected how to really do the show. Mm-hmm. I got good at it. And once people tried them, they enjoyed them. And I said, OK, I'm going to turn this into a business. I have a newborn. I'm going to make this a thing. This is something I can do at home. So I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have anything. I literally just kind of like did everything off the whim, signed up for a Shopify website and just start putting myself out there on Instagram. Like I didn't know too much about how to really advertise and market myself and take pretty photos. Like I was just doing it day by day and just really learning every 
every day something new. Um, and then once I received orders that wasn't my family or friends, <laughs> that's when I re- realized like, okay, we got something going here. Like people are actually buying from me who don't know me. And so my husband, when it came to the photo portion, we noticed that Instagram was really, especially in the food industry, like people's photos were really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my photos were kind of crappy. I was using an iPhone for a lot of my things. I knew nothing about backdrops. I knew nothing about like lighting and professional cameras. And it just so happened that my husband on the side as a hobby, he would take a lot of photos of kind of like, like more landscape and the sky and water. He was into that. So he was kind of training me like, you need to up your photo game. You need to start using backdrops. And I'm like, well, I don't really know nothing about that. I need something easy because I have a newborn. I don't want to be overwhelmed trying to set up everything. So he ended up purchasing me a backdrop from a company and that was supposed to be super super convenient. And he purchased it because he said, I think you'll enjoy it. So I started using it and it was good in the beginning. And then I just started getting frustrated with the setup process. Mm -hmm. So I stopped using it. And I said, this is just becoming too much. Like I'm just going to take photos how I want to take them and people either like or they don't, but the product is still good. So once he realized that I was no longer using the backdrop, but the backdrop was necessary for my photos to stand out because I was using more like plates and counter tops. That's mm-hmm. when he started, his brain started to kind of like trickle and spark and figure out, okay, how can I come up with a product that is easy for her to use and maybe that everyone else can use? And I'll transfer it over to him and let him tell his story on how he even came up with the magnetic b- backdrop concept. So for me, it was more, I think it was more of the frustration um, where Jassy constantly asks me, Balaji, can you, can you set this up for me? Or can you do this for me? Or um, how does this work? Look at this picture. Look at this mm-hmm. backdrop. How can I get rid of this seam line? It was more of those consistent questions. That was kind of what made it for me because I was because my background is pro pro development. Everywhere I've worked, I basically develop products. Mm-hmm. So it was more of how can I make this easy? Because if she's asking me questions about you know how to set up the backdrops or how to make it my product stand out, for me it was more of if she's asking me, there is over there's thousands and millions of people out there asking that same questions. So I just felt like I had the edge over a lot of the backdrop company out there because of my experience, you know, developing complicated products. So that was basically what gave birth to Quirky. And yeah, we had today. <laughs> yeah, wow. And can you describe the base Quirky setup and, and how it works? So Quirky concept is based on being magnetic. So the, for me, it was more of how can I eliminate the seam line between, you know, when you have the board upright, how can I eliminate that seam line between the upright position and the vertical board and the horizontal board? So just to go into exactly, you know, what comes with the board and, you know, in terms of what encompasses your products. So you have, you know, it comes with two boards, which can be set up in an upright position on a flat lay position. Mm-hmm. So you set up your board with two brackets that holds the board right upright and you just put your magnetic um, backdrops up backdrop on it. The good thing is you can layer up to two magnetic backdrops. So when you see a lot of pictures out there that has, you know, the vertical board as a different backdrop from the horizontal board, you can also do that with the quirky board. So you're solving, you know, a lot of problems where you can use one as a host where you don't get that seam line between the vertical and the horizontal, or you can, you know, put that layered where you can get those two two tones backdrop look. So that's what comes with the product. But the goal is, you know, the efficiency the efficiency 
and the effectiveness of, you know, moving between backdrops while you're doing product shoots and not having to like break down backdrops or carry every backdrop. It was just a com- combination of making it easier for, you know, the end users. Yeah, no, I love it. And I have to say, after watching your Instagram videos about how it worked, and then when I ordered a quirky set for Live Bar, it was amazing. It was like, I opened the box, I pulled out the brackets and I'd seen the video. So I was like, all right, I know what to do. I clipped in the pieces and the magnetic piece, like the magnetic backdrop just perfectly clung. And someone walked in our office and was like, whoa, what is that? Like, that is so cool. Like, how did you set that up? And I'm like, it literally just took me like 10 seconds because that's what it's designed to do. And it was an amazing replacement for, you know, I had like white poster boards, you know, hidden behind things in the house for trying to do videos or, you know, you're trying to borrow somebody's kitchen or whatever. So I have to say, as soon as I saw it, I was like, they figured out how to solve this problem. Like I know this problem and they solved it. So I I really love it. It's so cool. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And before we get in too deep, I also want to just highlight for people, how do they, if they're interested in following both Quirky and B Macarons, like where should they follow you? Where can they find you? And then do you have any news or anything up and coming in the next few months or later this year that you want to want to get the word out on? Sure. So if you are looking for us, um, the best way to find us is on social media and the best platform is going to be Instagram. We are also on TikTok, but let's just stick to Instagram. for <laughs> So you can find us at at quirky, that's K-W-E-R-K-E dot co. And for B Macarons, it's B-E dot M-A-C-A-R-O-N-S. If you want to follow any of our pages, just to keep, stay update on what we're doing and what we have going on. Um, As far as anything new that we're doing, we have, I know we're kind of like in our testing phase with a lot of different products. We're definitely going to be coming out with some new designs. Of course, we have, you know, the fall time is coming up. This is pumpkin spice season where everybody is posting pumpkin spice recipes. So we're definitely going to be coming out with some fall looking backdrops, some Mm. holiday Christmas looking backdrops for people to, I I believe people probably are going to start taking a lot of their photos and videos probably early September for Mm -hmm. Halloween. So we definitely want to get that launched in August. So we'll be doing a lot of uh, different designs. We're working on rebranding right now. So our website is currently getting updated. Our logo is getting updated. We just kind of want it more like a user-friendly website. Mm -hmm. So hire someone to do that. We're also working on potentially doing like an ambassadors program where we have a handful of women and men who are either in the food industry, but not necessarily, we don't want to just cater to food, but people who maybe in an e-commerce business as well, maybe sell a skincare line or a hair care line or sneakers or whatever, where they use backdrops for a lot of their products, just kind of like selecting certain people who are consistent on social media with posting and Mm -hmm. have great photos and just kind of like giving them backdrops and maybe becoming like an ambassador for Quirky. So that's just some things that we that we are currently working on in the moment. Cool. That's awesome. And kind of going back to B Macron, can you talk about the kind of the structure of how you set that up? You mentioned you're getting orders in, but I think you kind of had like a, it was like a pre-order setup and you had a certain number of orders and then you would kind of sell out and then you kind of shipped on a, a certain 
schedule. Can you kind of talk about how you structured that, that flow? Yep. So, okay. So when I first launched B Macarons, I really didn't have a process. I kind of just made all my flavors available to, you know, whenever you wanted to purchase, if you purchased on a Wednesday, I literally had to get in the kitchen, (laughs) product and get it out to you within that two to three business day. Mm -hmm. And then with time, I realized like, this is not realistic. Like I have to come up with a better process for myself and for everyone else, because one, I don't want the product to be rushed because it really can't be a rushed product. You have to like pay attention to it. So I had the macarons running for a year. I kind of like, once the pandemic hit, that really gave me the time to sit back and think, okay, how am I going to re-strategize this business? Because I enjoy doing it. People enjoy the product and I want to make sure me being a one-man show, I want to make sure that I'm able to like come through for them. So I kind of took off for a couple of months because I had another baby. (laughs) So I took off really during the pandemic and I came back in 2000, I think, yeah, the beginning of this year in January, I had relaunched the macaroons and I said, okay, this is my new strategy. My new strategy is I am going to only put out a maximum maybe of three flavors and they're only going to be available for a week or sometimes even two, depending on what the holiday was, if it was like Valentine's Day. But I said, I'm only going to put it out for a limited time. So you got to get it while it's hot. If you don't get it, you missed out. And then I would have that next week to the following week to make my product and get everything out. So it was just a smoother process for me. But I realized as a business owner, it worked better because one, it gave people a sense of urgency. They mm-hmm. the product like, oh God, it's about to go away tomorrow. Let me hurry up and put my order in because she's not coming back for another month. So let me hurry up because every month for the first week, I would put out the new product or the new flavor. And so that's when people were able to capture it. If they didn't get it within that first week, that was it. Like you had to wait until the next month until the new flavor was coming out. So it kind of helped me because one, I was able to be way more organized. I was able to have all my orders in at once, get everything out at once, and also have two more weeks with the rest of the month to really like, okay, what else am I going to, what am I going to put out next? What worked this month? What did not work this month? So it was really, really helpful when I did it that way. And then, so yeah, I think I'm done. (laughs) But yeah, that was was my re-strategizing. Yeah, interesting. It was not always that way. I had to learn how to do it that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And when you do a bake day, how many macarons do you make in a day? Oh my God. Oh, don't remind me. I'm getting a headache thinking about it. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so I do not have, like I did not work out of a commercial space or a commercial kitchen. I used my home when I was in New York City and now we've moved to Atlanta, but everything has been done out of my kitchen. So I'm using one oven. So oh, wow. a lot of times I had to do one tray at a time. And that was, let's say each tray took about 30 macaroons, let's say maybe 25 23 of them were good. The rest were bad. But in total, Mm -hmm. I would say like a day, if I'm working a week straight of baking, I would be busting out maybe like 20 trays a day. Wow. And yeah, that's like maybe 20 something macro, 20 something shells. 
for each tray. And I would, you know, I can only do what I can within that time frame because you also yeah. have the oven, you have to let the oven cool down. And oh, oh yeah, it's a, whole, it's a whole process. And I only had one mixer as well. So making the meringue for the macaroon shells was a lot, but it was definitely a lot of lessons learned during that season. Yeah. I also, I loved seeing like your Easter flavors looked amazing. Can you talk about some of the like unique flavors that you did and any if you got inspiration from anywhere or any favorite flavors that you worked on? So when I came out with flavors, initially when I had my set flavors on the website, I kind of just did a lot of flavors that I would see in different macaron shops. So of course I, you know, did the basic flavors, your vanilla, your chocolate. And then I would also, you know, a lot of people always did like birthday cake, but I got a lot of my inspiration shockingly from going to the grocery store. Mm. Every time I go to the grocery store, the first thing I do is I go to the bakery aisle. And when I go down the bakery aisle, I always look at the different cookie flavors that they have, the different cheesecake flavors, the different cake flavors, whatever, biscuits, whatever. I would just like figure out, okay. Or sometimes I would even go down the candy aisle or the ice cream aisle. And I would say, okay, how can I turn this into a macaron? And a lot of those aisles would be seasonal. So let's say if Easter was coming up, I would go down the candy aisle and we know that chocolate and peanut butter peanut butter is popular for Easter. We know jelly bean is popular for Easter. We know carrot cake. It's not popular for Easter, but carrots is Mm -hmm. like the theme is a trend for bunnies and Easter. So I would try and put two and two together. Like, okay, what would work? What's going to stand out flavor wise? That's going to make people say, Ooh, I want to try that things that people already eat. And now Mm -hmm. I can just convert it to a macaron as well to make them say like, oh, you already eat this regularly. Now try it inside of a macaron. So I tried to do little things like that to stand out in the grocery store really, really helped me. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. The flavors always look so tasty. How do you ship macarons? And did you have to figure that out? Like, did that take some trial and error? Or did you just do research? It, it seems like they could be tricky to ship. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. So <laughs> when I first started, before I even sold a macaron at all, I was trying to figure out the whole business aspect side of it. And I'm like, okay, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it right. So the first thing I did is I ordered macarons from, I ordered macarons from different companies mm-hmm. because a lot of people kept telling me, oh, they're so fragile. You cannot ship those things. And I'm like, well, I know companies do it. So I was like, right. okay, so let me order from the companies who do it and let me see their packaging. So I ordered from a couple different companies and I kind of, I tried to see how they did things. How did they wrap them up? Did they use ice packs? Did they use bubble wrap? How did they do their containers so that these things don't crack? So I basically followed what a lot of these companies out there were doing who who already ships. Mm-hmm. I, their process, I said, okay, so they use these kind of trays that separates the macarons so they don't smash. Okay, they use ice packs to keep them cold during a shipping process. Cool. Okay, so they use bubble wrap. Okay, they use this kind of box. Like I was paying attention to all the different tactics that they were using, and I just applied the same thing to my business, but just did it, you know, a little different to not be exact, but. I, I literally, I, I followed what they did because this, if it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's that's so smart because, I mean, they've already done all the research and everything. And exactly. So, exactly. so might as well take those learnings and apply them. So, yeah, that's such a good idea. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
This isn't a sponsor break. This is just me telling you about a thing that you need to know about, which is PlumCon. If you've been a listener for a while, you know that I love Plum Deluxe Tea. And we've had the privilege of interviewing the owner and founder, Andy Hayes, on the podcast. And Plum Deluxe is doing an event on August 20th through 22nd called PlumCon. It's an online tea event. So many different awesome activities. There's tea blending with Andy, mindfulness, craft time, creating time, tea afternoon detective hour, a cocktail workshop. It's going to be awesome. I'm super excited and I want and would love for my listeners to join me and come hang out at PlumCon. I bought the tea blending kit, which I would love if others also purchased and we could blend tea together. I think it's just going to be super fun and an opportunity to engage with the tea community and engage with an awesome company that's putting on an excellent event. I did an Instagram live session recently with Jenna at Plum Deluxe, which you can go check out. But if you want to learn more and check out a ticket, you can go to plumdeluxe.com backslash PlumCon, P-L-U-M-C-O-N. And ticket prices vary, so there are opportunities for everyone. So if you can't afford a ticket, they have a scholarship fund. Or if you can afford to pay it forward with an extra ticket, you can also do that. So lots of opportunities to participate. There's also goodie bags, which there's an awesome Plum Deluxe mug, a specific blend of tea. I got mine in the mail yesterday, and it's super cool. I'm loving all of it. I'm using the mug right now. So go check it out. I hope that you'll join me at PlumCon. Now, going to Quirky, I'm wondering, what did it look like? So from the initial, like, all right, here's the here's the idea of how we're going to solve this problem and what the product's going to look like. I'm wondering what the steps were then to like, how do you, how do you get a prototype and what does it look like to, you know, where do you get the product made and all of those pieces? And I'm wondering how Balaji's background as a in product development and as a mechanical engineer, like how that also helped in that process. So good questions. When when you're developing, so for me, like when I'm developing product at work, obviously you you develop a product with a team. So you have the resources there, you know, with you to ensure, you know, you go through the certain processes, product development processes. However, when you're trying to implement those processes as a as a new business and it's just yourself wearing different shoes. Uh, it's totally different. It doesn't follow the same path, pattern as we, we will follow when you know you're you're working for a company. So uh-huh. I went. I would say for product development for me, we I kind of started last year June, and I didn't finalize the product until I'm finalized like the final prototype until April this year. Mm, so it, wow. yeah, so it took me about nine months to kind of finalize the, the product. I went through multiple iterations of prototyping. So what I initially wanted to come up with was totally different from what I ended up, ended up with. So the excitement for customers will be in the next, you know, nine months, we, co- we, we will be coming out with a version two. But the version two would not have much change in terms of what back can my backdrop be compatible to this. The compatibility will still be there. It's mm-hmm. just you have a more advanced products. Oh, okay. So I think the goal was I want to bring down this product a notch where I would like to know if customers will actually will be receptive to this product. So, you know, we brought it down a notch, which is what we have what is how what we have right out now to the customers. It's 
different from what I initially had in mind. Same basics, just different final products. So in terms of the old, you know, iteration is, you know, I need to understand, you know, how long would a magnet last? Where can, where, what kind of temperature, you know, um, is it room temperature? Is it, mm. uh, you know, what kind of temperature would that magnet can be stored at, can, you know, can leave at, can last in terms of water resistance, you know, liquid resistance, stain resistance, what kind of liquid would not, you know, affect the magnets, would not affect the, the backdrop. So it w- it's a combination of all different requirements and specification and ensuring that, you know, my, you know, the manufacturer meets those specifications. Also, in terms of the final product, right now we're trying to scale up. So I manufacture, I assemble the product. The okay. goal is to step away from, you know, the manufacturing and assembly and have that done at a vendor once we are ready to scale up to that point. Mm-hmm. So it took, you know, about nine months of, I would say about, Six months of thinking and nine months of different prototyping phase because the prototyping phase had to had to deal with the board, the magnets, you know, the backdrop material, the backdrop design, the bracket, the bracket weight, the bracket size. It was so much complexity, and you're trying to reduce the the complexity so you know the customer getting that end product without a product that wouldn't be so complex to them would be simple to use. Right. Yeah. That's like the. I think that's a that's a great approach to take. Like the that like MVP minimum viable product approach of like the lean startup of get the concept out there and test and see if some people are interested in it and then just continue to build on it on it as you go. So that's, that's really cool. That makes a lot of sense. How do you, I'm thinking the pieces of the brackets or, you know, you mentioned working with the manufacturer. Is that something that like, because of your experience, you're able to, you're able to find a manufacturer pretty simply, or like if someone wants to get something made like where do you start is it just googling like fine i you know i need someone to make this and then you look at companies or how how do you go about that process so my my background has been you know i've worked in industry ranging from you know the automotive industry uh then i went to medical and i went to jewelry and i currently work in kind of like building products um so I've moved from different industries and I've during my during all this time I've been able to gain that experience on understanding manufacturing processes and you know understanding tolerances you know material material strengths material specifications so I already had it in mind and know what kind of material I would like to use and mm-hmm. know what sort of, you know, our specification my material has to meet. So I had all those things in mind. So I designed the product myself, you know, have the uh, CAD software to design the, right. the bracket, the product. Uh, I had different iterations of them. So the f- for me, it was more, you know, I knew exactly what the product is. I knew exactly what material I would like to use. I knew exactly what bracket I would like, you know, how the bracket would be in terms of specification, in terms of the, the requirement, the weight. So it was was more looking for companies out there that can actually meet my manufacturing spec. Mm-hmm. I feel like my experience kind of hurt a little bit because the companies that are out there, the fact that they they knew that I, you know, I created a drawing, they saw my tolerances, they saw, you know, my spec. They knew straight away that they're dealing with someone that understands products. They didn't want to help me on the technical side of things. <laughs> so either they didn't want to try to because they feel like I might question them, mm-hmm. or they didn't really want to put give me inputs on, you know, if I ask what kind of brackets, you know, what kind of plastic should I use? And it's like, I don't know, but you should know. So <laughs> basically, yeah. But uh, I kind of researched, you know, all those different companies, what they do. I, I needed to understand, you know, the price, the lead time and getting my products. 
Um, is it cheap? Mm-hmm. Right? I make them, you know, in America or, you know, I want it all made here in the US. So it was a combination of all the stuff. But I did research in understanding, you know, what manufacturer I would like to use and what manufacturing process I want to move forward with. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that sounds like a really big undertaking. So that's that's really cool. So you're at the stage where you had your prototype and then you guys are ready to start getting the the word out and, you know, get pre-orders. Or can, can you tell me about how you decided to roll it out and what the marketing looked like? And, and then, you know, if you have any, if you have any learnings from that process or things that you would do different in a, in, in launching it? So when I, when it got to that point, after I had the prototype and I was ready, I was stopped and I had no one else to call to apart from my wife. Mm-hmm. And she basically took it on from there. So do you want to explain that? Because I didn't, I don't have a clue. <laughs> so, so here's, Jesse, here's the real story. <laughs> so before we actually launched, we literally did everything within about, let's say, I would say like two months. So what happened what was, mean everything? We, we literally, not everything as far as the prototype and everything, but getting the business, the, yes. getting the business side of things off the ground. Within, less than two months. Less than, it was probably about a month because wow. um, yes. what happened was he, he was working on a lot of the business stuff last year. And once this year started, he kind of like stopped. He got, I don't know if he just got demotivated. And I looked at him and I said, what's going on with Quirky? Well, the name wasn't even Quirky then. It wasn't a name. So <laughs> what's going on with the business? What's, go- what's going on with, with your stuff? And he said, um, uh, I don't know. I just kind of got like demotivated. I don't know if it's because I'm still working. And I said, I don't think it should take that long. Like, I, I really feel like you should have, you should have had all this stuff done by now. Like, mm-hmm. it's not take this long. And literally, Jesse, within probably 48 hours, (laughs) he goes onto his social media. Mind you, we feel like we're coming out with a a business that no one has done, like magnetic backdrops. No one has them. This is fresh. This is new. Mm -hmm. So he goes on social media like two days later and he sees an ad for a company and they just launched magnetic backdrops. And he's like, yeah, it He's wasn't like, the exact concept. Oh my God. He comes to me. He says, Look, look. I said, See, this is your, that's confirmation for you to do it. Go. Yeah. Go. Like, do it. That's saying something. Their, their, their idea is a little different from ours, but the fact that they even had magnetic backdrops, it was like, Wow, somebody just did it. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. So we have to do this thing. So I started going. I, I literally dropped B macarons. Like it was, I wasn't supposed to do it how I did it, but I got onto my B macarons page and I said, look guys, after these Easter boxes, sorry to let y'all know last minute, but that's it. <laughs> like that's <laughs> it until I, until, until I know, I don't really know anything right now, but I literally let like the customers know my followers know this is it. So if you want macarons from me, get them now because I don't know when I'm coming back. And I let them know that. And that, and then I kind of just kind of, I don't want to say I went ghost, but I pretty much went ghost mm-hmm. because I just went a thousand percent with quirky. I Actually, did everything, a- everything quirky from the end of April. Well, no, no, the beginning of April no, until the end of March. I'll say. 
Okay, the end of March until we wanted to launch May 1st. So as far as like, kind of like, how did we do our processes and our marketing? And There's there's a part you missed where, where, so after I went on social media and I saw the magnetic backdrops and then, so all this time I've been trying to create this product where I've been trying to complicate it, make it so easy that you would just open the backdrop with one button. But Mm. then when I saw that backdrop and then Jassy told me, she said, if you do it, this prototype that you have here, I think it will work because I would use this. And just mm-hmm. get that confirmation from a user just came up. I just said, okay, I'll come up with version one and version two will come up later. And mm-hmm. within 48 hours, version one was was basically version one just came. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I just kind of like stepped in and said, mm-hmm. move over. I'm taking over. <laughs> <laughs> as women, I had a project manager. <laughs> yes, as we women do. I, I kind of pushed him out the way of his whole vision and company. I said, I'm taking over now. So I kind of stepped in and said, okay, we need to do do this, this, and this, and this. If we want to launch by May, we need to build an Instagram following. We need to start getting people teased and ready for this product because a lot of people may not be familiar with Backdrop. So we need to start educating them. We need to start showing them like examples of how it's going to work, what's to come, all this kind of stuff. As I was building the website at the time, like I was the one building our initial website. So as I was building everything, taking pictures of samples and doing all that kind of stuff, I was the one behind the scenes, like showing people, this is how the backdrop works, creating the the videos, posting the pictures. Um, So I kind of just kind of like stepped up to the plate and said, okay, I see his vision. I believe in his vision. I think Mm -hmm. it's going to work. So if I believe in this thing, let me stop what I'm doing and let me help out what he has going on so that I can see this thing, you know, win. I want it to win. So let me help it win rather than, you know, you should do this and critiquing it. I'm like, let me do what I can do to help it win. Yeah. Wow. And I have to say, I mean, all of the the B Macaron site, the quirky site, your social profiles, I hope everyone goes and checks them out and follow you because, I mean, it's a testament to to your product, but also just to, you know, your skills as far as everything looks so professional, so clean, so user-friendly. And it sounds like the website's giving, getting even another upgrade, which is awesome. It but is. I mean, it's just, yeah. I think it's super impressive, everything that you already have out in the world. Thank you. Look, we're trying to compete Thank with the you. big, we're trying to compete with the big dogs. So we got to do big dog things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're doing it. I mean, I, it looks amazing. Thank you. We appreciate that. You mentioned like ambassador program how else are you planning to to continue to get the word out how was it building the social media following you know what did that look like was that what you expected i guess you know it's always it's always social media is tough and it gets tougher by the day so i'm curious kind of what it's looked like to try to grow that and and what your plans are going forward too tell me about it so i would say it's tough right it was tough because and it's still tough but I didn't know, technically, I didn't know who the customers were yet. We didn't have Mm -hmm. a sale. We didn't know who was going to actually be interested because you have some people who are just like, I don't need magnetic. I don't need vinyl. I don't need these things. I'm comfortable with using my countertops. I'm comfortable with using my poster boards. I'm comfortable with using my contact paper or whatever people use. Mm -hmm. People who just says, I don't care to, you know, it works. What I'm doing works. 
So that was my fear trying to build a following because I'm trying to convince people that, hey guys, this is a better, this is better for you. It's easier. It's more efficient. It's more effective. But I I just didn't know who would be kind of like our customers. So Mm -hmm. I think it was just the consistency. And once I got feedback from people, a lot of the feedback was from people who really didn't know about backdrops at all. So Mm -hmm. I kind of had to take a different route with our page because the people who follow us, majority of them know nothing about backdrops, but they sell some type of product or they have some type of blog where they're advertising their food. So what I tried to spend a lot of my time on is showing them how it's done. And I try and get a lot of people to subscribe as well because I try try and give tips and advice on kind of like how to use our backdrops, the best methods to take and different like tricks you can do. I'm not a professional when it comes to cameras, when it comes to lighting, or even when it comes to staging, like I'm not, that's not my background. Like, mm-hmm. but with time, you know, with time, when the more you do things, the more you get better with it. I'm still not a professional. People might look at myself like, oh, she's trash, but I don't know. But you know, the more I do things, I'm starting to get a little bit more comfortable with it. And I feel like if I'm learning something new, I'm going to give out the information that I'm giving. So with building Mm -hmm. our Instagram and marketing our products, like it's not easy. It's just, I'm, I'm literally learning every day. And this is why I think it's so key to have other people vouch for us. So I think us potentially doing an an ambassador's type of program where people are receiving backdrops from us when we come out with a new design or a new feature with our backdrop, whatever we do, and they end up getting first dibs on that. For them to speak on our behalf is kind of selling for us because we have other people saying like, hey, I'm using this product. Go get it. It's great. So that is the best kind of like the path we want to take. And potentially we might even want to go wholesaling, like getting into photography Mm -hmm. stores to kind of do the work for us. So it's not so much just us being the voice, but we have other people and other platforms being the voice for us. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. It's time to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Live Bar. Live Bars are organic superfood energy bars, free from gluten, soy, dairy, corn, GMOs, peanuts, packaged in a home compostable wrapper, and baked with love right here in Oregon. I mentioned on a previous episode how I was blown away when I first tried Live Bars before starting to work with Live Bar. And another story I wanted to share was when I first traveled with Live Bars to the food show Fancy Food. So Fancy Food is one of the natural food industry shows and it's on the West Coast and the East Coast. And I went to the East Coast show with Wade and Ryan on our team. And it was our first big show at Live Bar. I was still getting familiar with the product and hadn't really heard a lot of direct consumer feedback other than what I had seen from our Amazon account. And we were at this show with 60 plus other bar companies among all other type of companies and buyers from like Whole Foods or Costco would walk by and you would kind of try to wave them down and get them to come try the product. Well, there's so many types of energy bars that generally people weren't super excited to try another bar, especially by later in the day. So we would say, hey, like I promise this will taste different than any energy bar that you've had, which I definitely believe to be true. But I also hadn't seen quite the extreme reactions that we would get. People would just 
just be, they look tired and exhausted from walking these huge show floors. This was at the, the big convention center in New York City. And they would taste, they'd finally pop the lip bar in their mouth and their whole face would just light up like, oh my goodness, this is really different. Like you weren't lying to me. And I'm like, of course I wasn't lying to you. But it really is different. It tastes different. It has a different texture. It's really something unique. So if you haven't tried lip bars or if your mouth is watering to get some more because you've eaten your whole stash, remember that just for my listeners, we have a code T20, T-E-A-20 to get 20% off at livebar.com on your next order. So give them a try and let me know what you think. Well, I, I'd like to switch gears too, just into a little bit of, you know, you both mentioned kind of your backgrounds of Jocelyn, you mentioned hedge fund. I believe you have a background in lots of different finance areas and then yeah. Balaji with the product development. And I know you've worked at like Ford and Tiffany. And so yeah. I just kind of like to hear a little bit more about how you both got into those initial career paths and then what's it looked like to just in this last couple of years to become entrepreneurs and launch your own ventures. What does that whole journey look like altogether? Yeah. So for me, when I initially applied to go to college and, you know, you had to choose what are you going to major in, I always knew always, I always knew that I was going to be an entrepreneur. I knew the end goal for me was never to work for someone and retire from that company. Like the older Mm -hmm. generation does, you know, no disrespect to the older generation, but I knew that that wasn't going to be me. I knew Mm -hmm. that I was going to have my own. So when it was time for me to select my major, I said, okay, I think the smartest major for me, knowing that I'm going to be an entrepreneur is to focus on business. Now, you know, with business, you have other things that you can concentrate in, like marketing, Mm -hmm. management. But I felt like a lot of those things, we didn't really have social media. Social media wasn't as big back then. So marketing is probably different now for business majors. But Mm -hmm. back then, I didn't find those concentrations to be that important to me, like management and marketing. To me, I felt like, most entrepreneurs failed in their business because of their financing, because they did not know how to manage money, because they did not know how to invest properly. They Mm -hmm. failed, their business like collapsed. And I knew that that probably was one of the hardest things to understand was the financial part of business. So I said, if I go to school, I'm going to study business finance. I need to understand the money side of business and why people fail in that area. I want to be good in that area. So no matter Mm -hmm. if I quit my job and I only had a hundred dollars or even $5 to my name, I can still flourish because I understand money. I understand finance. I understand like future investments. I understand those things. So that's what made me choose finance as my major when I went to college. I went to an HBCU. For those of you who are listening and don't know what that means, that is a historically Black college or university. I went to Clark Atlanta University. And my freshman year, we had a company called Inroads that came to our school and they said, um, we work with top Fortune 500 companies and we give, well, we don't give, but we have internships if you apply and you get accepted for the internship. So mm-hmm. I said, I'm applying. Like, I might as well get my, my stuff started. Like, I'm applying. So I applied for Inroads, the program, got accepted into the program, and then I had to secure a, a internship. I secured the internship with Liberty Mutual. I worked for Liberty Mutual my entire, well, during the summer years, during the summer months, 
I worked at Liberty Mutual all my years of college. Once it was time for me to graduate, they hired me for a full-time position somewhere in Texas. And I don't even know what happened. Something happened where they never just they were not responding to my emails of like when I was supposed to start. I don't know what happened. Oh, wow. Right. So I ended up going back to my hometown, Philadelphia, and got a job in healthcare. Did not enjoy it. It was not my type of role. And got another position at BNY Mellon. That is when I started my real finance career. That's when I started working with investments, working at Bank of New York Mellon. Worked there. Mm-hmm. And, but I just, it was something about, you know, it's something about when you leave college, having that freedom not really working and then sitting at a desk from nine to five. It just was mm-hmm. not enjoyable. I could not stand it. I was like, this is not life. So I was like, what else mm-hmm. can I do? Like, I can't sit behind this desk all day. This is depressing. So I looked into different programs. I said, okay, maybe I'll go back to school because school was fun. So I'm going back. <laughs> so <laughs> I looked for a program to get my MBA and I so happened to come across this program that was abroad. And I was like, whoa, I could live in London. I could live in Thailand and I can work and make money. Oh, I'm applying. (laughs) So I was like, this is my type of job. I applied to the program, got accepted, landed the not internship, but the job because I was working there for a year and I was working at UBS, United Bank of Switzerland in London. And that kind of really given that gave me all of my exposure to kind of just like life. It really grew mm-hmm. me up. And then once I left UBS, worked at a couple different financial firms, then I landed at a hedge fund company in New York City. And that's that's kind of how that's how my life ended up being. Yeah, wow. That's that's a really cool story. Balaji, are you would you mind sharing your yes. kind of career journey? Yes, definitely. So um so in the in the UK, so you would normally when you come out of a uh, high school, the high school you call it, high school, secondary school, you do two years of college and then you do three years of university, depending on, you know, what you what you want to actually major in. So during college I I wanted to do music engineering. I started up music engineering and I, I always, you know, had passion for music. One of the my tutor basically said, You're so you like really good in physics. You know, you're really good in mathematics and for the mathematics, you're really poor in music. So why do you want to do music engineering? Because, oh, no. you know, I love music. I want to make music. I said, but you're really bad at music. Just can you focus on something that is not music. So that was my first time here in being a, a mechanical engineer. Prior to that, I wanted to be an automotive or aeronautic engineer. I, want to, I, I was like, okay, if I could not do music, I probably want to fly planes, maybe be a pilot or build planes. So I met, started majoring in aeronautic engineering. So when I left college, I went to university. When I was in university, my tutor then basically told me, you know, he said, once you come out of college, once you come out of university, there is, you know, recession is going to happen. Recession is currently going to, is happening. It's going to get to its peak in, you know, in the end of the 2000s, 2009, 2010s. So I'm not sure if you really want to major in aeronautics. You might want to major in mechanical where you're abroad and you can work in any industry. So Mm -hmm. I kind of thought of it and I basically shifted gear from aeronautic engineer to mechanical engineer. I graduated, you know, as a mechanical engineer, got my first mechanical engineer job in Ford in London, Essex, where, you know, I was basically product development in engine engineering. So designing, you know, manufacturing, product production, 
of uh, diesel engines. And then I met Jassy. I actually met you before that. I met Jassy before I started working in Ford. So, you know, the goal was, you know, once I wanted to move to the States. I mm-hmm. moved here. And then I was initially supposed to work in Ford in the States. However, what happened was my manager told me about the job in Ford in the United States in Buffalo, New York, because we just lived in Manhattan. So mm-hmm. the job was in Buffalo, New York. I didn't know how far Buffalo, New York was to New York City. Mm-hmm. So I said, definitely, when I get here, I will look at it. I would. I, I love working in Ford, so I might take it. So when I got here, I typed on the on Google and I went, you know, Buffalo, New York to New York City, six hours train. Oh. And I said, six hours train ride? Wait, is that a different state? Is that, no, sorry. I'm like, is that a different country? Yeah. So I didn't get how big America was. So, so I kind of declined the position. I started looking for work here. Before I got my work permit, I got a job in Siemens where it was basically, you know, developing products for medical. It was medical devices, diagnostics machine. So I worked in Siemens. I was there for about a year and a half. And then from Siemens, I moved to Tiffany, where I was working in jewelry. Tiffany & Co., the famous jewelry company. Mm-hmm. I was there for about almost two years in Tiffany, developing, I'm not sure if you're into jewelry, but the Tiffany love bugs, the Tiffany truths, Tiffany true arms um, and engagement rings. Mm-hmm. I was working on different stuff, you know, from bracelets to chains to earrings, just developing products, developing jewelries. And then I left Tiffany. I went to another company called DRL, which is called Drone Racing League. So developing drones. And then I left DRL and I went, and I'm currently in a company called Jordwin, you know, basically designing and developing doors and windows. So mm-hmm. that's been my whole career path to now. So, and that's helped me, you know, put in all this, you know, everything I've learned into developing Quirky. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You both have really impressive career histories. That's really cool. Can you talk more about when you met each other? So you were both in, it was, you were both in London when you met each other. How did you meet? I'd love to hear more of that story. Yes. So again, I was, I was straight out of college. It might've been maybe six months after me graduating college. And like I said, when I was at BNY Mellon, I was just sick of the desk. So I was looking for something fresh and new, but still can give me the lifestyle I had when I was in college. So I went to London and uh, I was still party girl. I was I was the party girl still. I, I I got my work done, but I was still a party girl. We met when I so happened to leave. I was leaving from work. It was a Friday. I was leaving from work. And, you know, he approached me and, you know, I was in London. So I really wasn't that interested because I knew I was going to be returning back to America. But I let him take my email, my work email down. That was the more professional way to exchange information. He took my work email down and then he just was not emailing me. So (laughs) I reached out to him and finally we exchanged numbers and it kind of went from there. Like I was being hardcore, but I kind of like softened up once I got to know who he was and what he was about. I kind of like fell for him. And now we're here with two children. I actually emailed you. It was your work email. You gave me your I, work said, email. I said work email. Yeah, you gave me your work email and your personal and your personal email. Yeah. I believe. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Do you have any favorite stories from living in London or either before you knew each other or, or separately? I'm just it seem it sounds really fun to live in London. I've only visited once, but I'm curious if you have any stories. Man. Oh, favorite stories. Ooh, they probably can't even be for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we can label it not safe for work. <laughs> I 
have too many stories when I was over there. You know what? I think one of my, it's, it's not necessarily a story, but while I was there, I felt like so much happened. You know, do you ever feel like something happens because you're there? Like, and I just felt like things kept happening mm-hmm. because I was in London. Like as soon as I arrived to London in 2011 in August, they happened to have, what was it that y'all had? Y'all had riots. People were yes. rioting because someone had gotten killed or something. And so they were rioting all the stores. It's like, as soon as we I landed, that's the first thing we heard. Oh, wow. Oh, all these riots just happened. You guys have to stay safe. You guys have to do this. You guys have to do that. And I'm just like, what the world? Like, I just got here. And then it was like the Queen's birth. It was like the Queen's 60th or something or yeah, it was some, golden, it was the, then it was the Olympics were there the year that I was there so it was just like so mm-hmm. much stuff was happening while I was in London I felt like oh because I'm here all this stuff is happening so it just felt really good to be there doing all those like important and significant times like it was really good to be and just experience it and it's really I'm happy that I got to be there for over a year because Mm-hmm. When I first got there, you know, you're so adjusted to how you live and your culture that when I first got there, I was just like, oh God, this place is horrible. This place sucks. Why did I choose to come here? Like, this is just like a bad decision. Like, I, I really don't enjoy it here, but I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, live, but I don't really like it. The weather was gloomy. It was always raining. Mm-hmm. It was just like a lot of things I complained about within the first month. But then after, like, I would say about living there for three months, there was so many, I had just a different perspective on living mm. in a different country, like adapting to their culture, their food, their people, their words, like the different lingo that they use that compared to what we use. I had to adjust to that. Not only that, I was working there. So I had to work in a professional environment. So I had to understand the work culture. Like on birthdays, they don't buy you anything. You bring in, you buy them things for your birthday. (laughs) It was was very different. And it just, you know, I became not ignorant. I was very ignorant when I went over there and I just learned so much because it's literally, London is a melting pot. It's literally a big melting pot of people from all over. So just Mm -hmm. meeting different people from all over the world and just seeing how they live and what they do. When I came back to America, I would look at our people like, wow, you guys are ignorant. You didn't know that? Like, you know, (laughs) me a different look on, outlook on uh, on us as Americans. So I really appreciated being over there. I don't really have an exact story, but I really enjoyed it. Like I learned a lot about myself but I also learned a lot about other people while being there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. And Balaji, can you talk about growing? I believe you grew up in Nigeria and then at some point you, your family moved to London. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that was like? Yeah. So actually my mom and dad moved to London in, in the sixties, if I'm right, I think okay. it was 1963 or 62. My brothers were born in London and I basically lived, was born in Nigeria. Actually, my granddad, sorry, when I said my dad, because he raised me, my brother, my uh, my granddad raised me. So um, my dad mm. was born in London in the 60s. So he gave it to me in Nigeria. So I went, I lived in Nigeria from, you know, from my birth to I moved to London when I was about 17, I believe. 
So okay. living in Nigeria, you know, the lifestyle is very different. It's more, um, it's very family oriented. It's, you know, very educational, kind of like educational minded. You either have to be a lawyer, an engineer, just the stereotype, sorry, but it's actually real. So that's how we all, you know, we all kind of grew up. So from there, I moved to London and I used to live with my brother and then eventually live, live by myself, you know, eventually met Jazzy and moved over to the state. So that was, that's, wow. you know, the, the old story of me from Nigeria eventually ended up here. So you moved, so you were 17 and you moved to London to stay with your brother. That seems like a big thing to do as a 17 year old. Like that, was that intimidating or was it like, since you had family, was it not as intimidating? <sighs> It was intimidating in a way, though I went with my grandma. So, you know, when I got there, you know, I stayed with my brother. It was easier to live with him. You know, it was, you know, he was him and his wife. And I think he had one. He had one kid at that time. So okay. I lived with him. Too. So it's funny because I lived with him until I graduated from university. So I lived with him for about what, eight, six years, seven years. I think I was about what, 22, 23 or 24, something like that when I left. So I lived, I lived with him all those time and, you know, I was able to save, <laughs> save money from, you know, not paying rent, going through college and university. So yeah, it was intimidating, but at the same time, I knew like all my brothers were there. I had, you know, my uncles, my cousins, you know, everyone lived there. So, you know, knowing that I had, you know, that family around me uh, made it a bit easy hmm. for me, but yeah, it made it a bit easy for me knowing I had everyone around me. It was intimidating in a way because I felt like I was living where I actually know, but, and I was going to live permanently in somewhere I do not know, but that family, that, you know, that support around me, family support around me kind of helped me guide me through, you know, the whole time I was there till I left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And have you both traveled together some or Jocelyn, I noticed on your kind of about section, you mentioned multiple, lots of different countries that you've traveled to. Have you guys traveled together and, and for either of you, or are there any favorite places that you've traveled to or travel stories? Yeah, we've, we've traveled yeah. together a lot. Like yeah, we, we, we spent a month in Thailand together. Oh, wow. Well, before we even went to Thailand, like when I first met him, like before he was my quote unquote official boyfriend, <laughs> I was like super fast. And I was like, hey, I'm going to Greece. Do you want to come with me? And he just so happened to be like, OK, I'll come. So that, nice. was, <laughs> that was our first that was our first trip together. I, I was already going with some a couple of girls that I already knew. And he happened to hop along on the trip. So that was our first. I, I would say that was our most memorable only because it was our first. And he he's lived in London. I don't know how many years and he's never been anywhere. And I was just like, wow, like you're so close to so many different countries. And, and it's so never, cheap as well. And it's so cheap. I'm like, and you've never traveled anywhere outside of London. And he's like, no, I've never been anywhere. So I was kind of more adamant, like, well, you're coming, like you're coming to Greece. Like you need to see, <laughs> you need to see like Europe, you live in this continent, you need to see this place. So I would say that was definitely our most memorable and then our other most memorable has to be Thailand because I won't lie, like <laughs> I knew I was returning back to America. Thailand was my second, the second portion of my program to get my MBA. That's where I had to finish my last six months. So I was mm. doing six months in Thailand and I had to leave London. I was in London for a year, a little over a year. And then I spent six months in Thailand. So before I went to Thailand, you know, I kind of, in my head, I knew like, all right, I'm going to break it off with this guy because I'm going back to America. There's no way I'm doing long distance. Like that's impossible. And so mm -hmm. 
I knew before my program started, we had like a month break and I was just kind of going to hop around Thailand and travel and explore the different islands and just see Thailand for myself, by myself. And he basically was like, yeah, I'm coming with you. And I was like, you are? But you have to work. And he just was like, yeah, I took off already. And I was just like, oh my God. Because and my, my I, heart melted. <laughs> I, t- I told you because she was going to Thailand, I think a month before your program started. Yeah. And I, I'm like, you're going to a foreign country. I don't know if I trust you going there by yourself. You never know what's going to happen. You never know who's gonna, who you're going to meet. So I felt like I had to tag along and be like that security <laughs> that she needed. Literally, no, I was leaving him. Like he didn't even know that he wasn't even loving my boyfriend anymore. <laughs> I took advantage of it. I said, oh, good. I get somebody to travel with. But as soon as he goes back, like, we're done. (laughs) And then, of course, (laughs) after the whole month of seeing all of, like, Thailand and traveling from hostel (laughs) to hotel and eating street food and this and just doing so much stuff together, we got to the airport when it was time for him to go. And we just both, like, bawled, crying. I was crying, like, Like, three days before. We were crying so bad. I couldn't break up with him. I couldn't do it. And I was like, I can't do it. And so we end up staying together, doing a long distance relationship for four years. Oh, wow. That was tough. That was tough. And the longest we didn't see each other was 11 months. Yeah. And that was a difficult time. Yeah. And after that, we started seeing each other like maybe three times, four times a year. Yeah. You travel twice and I come here twice. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I just am like letting that soak in. Like that, that is, that's so much relationship work. I'm, yeah, I'm just so impressed. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was tough. Being in Thailand was very tough. was very memorable. A lot of different stories in Thailand. A lot of like really different stories. Um, one, if you don't mind me sharing, there was one where uh, we basically ran out of money and she had money coming in, but the money wasn't coming in until maybe two weeks time. And we literally didn't have food to eat. So once, once she goes to school, she packs food from school a lot of food that would mm-hmm. last us for that day. And then the next day, I'm eating what, what peanut butter and jelly with, with hot dogs. With hot dog. And it was, it was, it was, it was very difficult. But we, 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 we you know, we did it. <laughs> Those are great stories. I asked this question to, to everyone. And it's one of my, it's one of my favorite questions. I, I love the answers every time. What's an oddly satisfying part of, you know, your work? It can be at Quirky or at B Macarons, but something when it, it could be even kind of, it could seem kind of mundane to someone else, but just it's so satisfying when it happens. You're like, oh, this is just one of my favorite parts of the process. Is there anything like that that both of you can think of? For me, it was is more like assembling, like kind mm, of assembling. Mm-hmm. I'll say two things. is more assembling the product and also thinking of different new products. I want to come out with. I have like different sketches and, you know, ideas. I haven't like started working on them, but it's like when I sit out in there and I'm just by myself, or I'm driving, I just think of stuff and I just park on the side of the road and just sketch it down and just oh, wow. drive it. So that's kind of stuff like for me. I would say for me, it would have to be like, I'm way more motivated. Like when he and I come together and have our meetings and we talk about how, how can we grow? Like, how can we get bigger? How can we sell more? Like, I feel like that's super satisfying to me. Like, I don't necessarily want to implement all the processes on how we can grow, but just brainstorming. I think the brainstorming and creation, like the, the creative side of like thinking of different strategies, the strategy side of it, that is what motivates me. That's what gives me the most energy to kind of like 
just think about the process of like, how can we get from here to here is what drives me. That is, most people may not like that process and may not like want to think that hard, but I'm super analytical. So I like the analytic side of the business. I like Mm -hmm. to say, okay, last month, these, this, this, and this did not work. This was the outcome. This was the data. This is the number. This is what we need to, you know, figure out. How can we do X, Y, and Z? And I love talking about those things. I love brainstorming those things and creating those different processes for us to grow and scale. Mm -hmm. I would say that that's my most like invigorating like moments. Yeah, I love that. Those are those are all awesome. And then I also ask everyone. Do you have any favorite teas, a favorite tea? I know, Jocelyn, you mentioned that you're a coffee girl. So it's okay if you want to mention your favorite coffee too. I'll allow it. But if you have any favorite teas, I'd love to hear that too. (laughs) I do. I enjoy, you know what? Living in London. Now, I know most Americans, I don't know who your listeners are, but if they are majority Americans, I know, you know, Americans (laughs) don't necessarily put milk or cream in their tea. Not but cream, milk. The British has changed me. Like I've been doing this <laughs> for the past 10 years. I have been putting anytime I drink tea, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be green tea. It could be lemon tea. English, <laughs> English breakfast, black tea. It doesn't matter what the tea is. Chai. I'm going to put some type of cream in my tea mm. <laughs> or milk. I'm going, to, I'm going to put that inside my tea because it just makes it taste better. <laughs> I love it. I don't know. That's that's for me. Yeah. As far as coffee, I'm super basic and cheap. I do instant, like instant, instant coffee. Instant coffee. That's what we're drinking I'm not, in Europe. I'm not like in, super. In, in I didn't coffee. even drink coffee when I was in London. Yeah. I, I started drinking coffee after I had children because, yeah, kids. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just a super quick, like, give me my instant. I do three scoops of instant in my hot water. And so I'm, I'm very basic with coffee. I'm not like a specialist where I know any type of like types of coffee. I'm, I'm, I'm Nestle. Is that what the brand is? Nestle? Nestle. Or Nescaf? Nes- Nestle. Well, Nescafe. Oh, okay. There you go. I'm, I'm, I'm basic with coffee. Very basic. <laughs> Do you have a favorite tea brand that you like or a type of tea that you, if you're going to go the tea route that you gravitate toward? Twinnings. Twinnings. Okay. PG, yeah. PGC, Twinnings. They're, 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 they're what? They're UK brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. For me, I think I like all kind of tea. These days I've been more towards, I have to have my tea and biscuits every morning. Literally mm. every day I have to. I know I do get McVitie's. Um, from a, there's a store here in Atlanta that sell my bitties, so I do get it from there. Um, but I have to drink, I have to have my tea and biscuit every morning, and I have to dip my biscuit in my tea. Um, it doesn't matter. I love what it. it is. But I love, uh, personally for me, I like sh- ch- chai tea and oolong. Um, mm. It's my favorite teas. But I can drink any tea as long as I have milk and sugar. <laughs> and it has to be milk, not cream up, but milk. So, yeah, I I didn't become a coffee drinker until I moved here to the States. But uh, I have to drink at least. I, it, get, it gets really bad. If I'm on my desk at work, I could drink about five to eight cup of tea. Um, <laughs> the only problem I have is the tea bag doesn't last long over here Mm, yeah i can use the same tea bag like two or three times back home but yeah it doesn't last long so Um, i love that you have a tea and biscuits tradition every morning that that's just part of your routine that's awesome i just have to (laughs) (laughs) so great well our final section is called tips and dregs and so tea tips being the sweet part of the tea and the dregs being kind of the not so great part left at the bottom of your cup if you kind of had to think over like your last week or so 
Is there anything that kind of stood out as a tip and something that stood out as a drag? It can be something really small or it can be bigger, but and then we kind of can go back and forth. I like to start with drags and then we can end on the high high tip of, of our tips. Do you want me to start or do you have something, you know, right, ready to go? You can start. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so for my drags, this is the silliest thing, but in my, I recently got some different glasses and I was eating peanut butter. And somehow when I was eating peanut butter, a little fleck of peanut butter got into my glasses, like between the lens and the frames. And for the life of me, I cannot get that peanut butter out of my glasses. <laughs> so no matter what I look at in my peripheral vision, I just see a little chunk of peanut butter and I just it's driving me crazy. Oh my God, that's funny. <laughs> Okay, I guess I'll go. I don't know if this is necessarily a drig, but mine is laundry that has been sitting <laughs> for days now that I just mm. do not seem to get to folding. Like, yeah, I look at it every day. It sits in the same position. And when it's time to look for something clean to wear, I just go to the pile, pick mm-hmm. it out for me, my children, and that's it. Like, I just can't get to folding it. That's my drig, <laughs> but I'm okay with that being the drig. I'm okay okay with that <laughs> yeah I, I can relate to that that's that's rough for me is so um i have my one office at work i just i just ordered new desk because i wanted like this new desk that can you know i think um the ones that go up and down you, you know if i want to stand if I'm mm-hmm. so um had a maintenance team they could come in and put it together for me but i said no i want to do it myself because like kind of therapeutic for me unfortunately for me I put it, so I wanted to put, there's, you can either do it in the left-hand side or the right-hand side. It's an L shape. So the L shape, the L part of the shape can be on the right-hand side. The L part of the shape can be on the left-hand side. I want mm-hmm. the L part of the shape to be on the left-hand side. But no, me, I do not read instructions. <laughs> I ended up putting the L shape on the right-hand side, fully assembled. And I sat down there and I had to break it down. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I started on Monday and I finished today. Oh, wow. <laughs> And basically, I use the old three days. So if I'm asked, what have you done this week? Putting my table together. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, I'm glad it's finally together. Yes. <laughs> All right. So tips. So for me, my tips are actually tea related. In Portland, we normally have a couple years ago, a team of people started what was called Tea Fest PDX. And super awesome in-person event with tea vendors and it had to be canceled the last couple of years because of the pandemic. And so the team members that run the event actually did a tote bag fundraiser where different people that would have been vendors put it, put their teas in this tote bag and then you could purchase one and you know help support next year's 2022 Tea Fest. And so I went to pick up my bag of tea and it was at a tea shop in Portland I hadn't been to before called Fly Awake. And it was this cute little tea shop just like in an alleyway. I never would have found it all on my own. And then it had a cute little upstairs. And then the owner was working and he calls himself a certified tea wizard. And he was like, choose a tea from the list. And I chose a, I'm also an oolong person. So I chose the wizard oolong. And he goes, go sit upstairs and just, you know, spread out your stuff and just plan to be here. And I'm going to, you know, I'll keep your leaves and I'll just come and make you more tea, you know, fresh every like 15 minutes. And so I just hung out for a few hours and Every once in a while, he would come and check on me and, you know, make me a new cup of tea right in front of me and pour it in my cup. And I just 
hung out and journaled and it was just so relaxing and great. And I love that there was like multiple wizard references in a tea shop and I got my tea back. So it was just a really great tea themed day, tea and wizards all in one day. My tip hasn't happened yet, but tomorrow I am doing a digital detox. Ooh. Yeah, I think it's important to just, you know, sometimes we constantly go on and we're just kind of like comparing and watching what Mm -hmm. everybody else is doing and looking at everyone else's numbers and looking where everyone else is in their journey And sometimes it just can be like not healthy. So tomorrow I am doing a digital detox from all things social media, all things computer and all things TV. So I am spending a lot of time with myself, my thoughts, and I think it's going to be super healthy. And it's going to be refreshing for me to just when I start back up on Friday, when I get back on social media, it's just going to be a kind of probably a different perspective to just take that 24 hours away from Mm -hmm. being on those type of platforms and also TV, like watching certain things. You just kind of feel some type of way sometimes as well, depending on what you watch. So that would be my tip for people. Just kind of like sometimes take a break from it all. Take a break. Yeah, no. Oh, I I love that. That's I'm excited for you. I think for me it would be so. A couple of weeks ago, we did say we wanted to hire a marketing guru to do our you know rebranding, restructuring of a company. So I think my tip for me was is yesterday the website was gonna go live and just constantly going on on internet and just constantly clicking on refresh just to see the new website and how it looks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you kind of have that, you know, you're anxious and saying, you know, is it, are you going to like it? You're not going to like it. And just seeing it pop up around like 9.30, 10 p.m. And I actually love what I'm seeing. You know, it's just basically, yeah, basically just satisfying. So I think it was more like it took us about what a week or two weeks to even say, you know, do we want to do this brand ambassador stuff or not? Mm-hmm. Do we want to do this brewery branding or do we not want to do it? So I think, you know, for like putting all this together, it was more like, you know, once you start something, you always have to think about the next phase, the next phase. You can't keep, you know, being stuck in that phase that you're in. You have to mm-hmm. always elevate it and where do you go next? So that's, that's, that was, that was, that's my for, for the week. Yeah. I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much. I had a blast hearing, you. Uh, hearing you. more about you and this was super fun. I'm so excited to follow both of your companies and anything else that you guys come up with. I think you guys are both such creative forces and putting awesome things out in the world. And I'm excited to keep using our quirky setup and yeah, and hopefully get some when macarons are back, I'll, I'll get some of those. So yeah, I'm just, I, I love what you guys are doing and it was so, so nice uh, to spend some time with you. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Like, thank you for even following B, B Macaron page and even noticing me. So many macarons are so popular now. Like I feel like so many bakers are doing them. So for you to notice me and want to speak to me makes me feel special. So thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. Thank you, Jesse. Really appreciate following, you know, following us, you know, our whole growth. You know, at some point, you know, we definitely want to get feedback from you on your, you know, the user um, experience on Quirky and the products. Yeah. To improve on. That's basically what, you know, what I'm um, basically dedicating myself to. (laughs) But thank you so much for, you know, for the um, opportunity to be able to just set our story and just speak out, talk freely, you know. 
So I appreciate yeah. it so much. Yeah, it's very therapeutic. It is. <laughs> <to just talk laughs> who doesn't know us and just yeah. tell our story. It's kind of like therapy that mm-hmm. we're doing this right now. It's kind of therapy for us. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I, I always feel re- just reinvigorated after, you know, hearing people's stories and hearing the passion and all the just the, the history and everything that goes into, you know, as a customer or in a consumer, you may, you just see glimpses as, as something. And I always love, I just feel so refreshed when I hear the the backstory and all the, the wonderful history that goes on behind a, a product and, and different wonderful companies. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining today, strangers. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. The tea consumed on today's episode is Golden Pineapple Kombucha by GT. It is one of my all-time favorite kombuchas, just in general, and also by GT. It released, I think, last year, and it's a black and green tea, and then it has pineapple juice, lemon juice, and sage, and it is just absolutely phenomenal and so refreshing. There were multiple times last year where I made trips specifically to Whole Foods just to find this kombucha. So it is delicious and refreshing and definitely try to get some in uh, while you can this summer. If you like today's episode, please like, subscribe, share, support us on Patreon, whatever you would like to do to help continue to see more content from Iroh's Corner. In the words of Uncle Iroh, While it is always best to believe in oneself, a little help from others can be a great blessing. Did you hear that? He's definitely drinking tea and thinking about five-star reviews. If you have any questions about today's episode, you can reach out on any of our social media accounts or hello at iroscorner.com. See you next time, strangers.